So what we have done is we built a, a values committee within our company. And it looks at the issues that they're working on, the positions that they've taken, and how that lines up with our values, our mission, and our vision. And that core value, that main value is democracy over everything. If you are actively taking a position on an issue that restricts anything from a pro-democracy perspective, we just refuse to work with you. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today is Damola Ogundepe, a political entrepreneur who is co-founder and CEO of Civic Eagle. Civic Eagle's building a platform for legislative intelligence that lets issue-based organizations coordinate and collaborate around legislation in the states and nationally. I spoke with Damola about his career and the entrepreneurial journey that has taken him and his team to a startup that has settled on a clear business model, is growing and gaining traction, and is providing a needed service to a market that he cares about. It's a good example of what it takes to get an enterprise going in the political space these days. So, after a quick word from our sponsor, my interview with Damola Ogundepe at Civic Eagle. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. Damola, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Yeah, my name is Damola Ogundepe. I'm one of the co-founders and the CEO of Civic Eagle. My background, I immigrated from Nigeria when I was six, grew up in a suburb right outside of the Twin Cities in, in Minnesota called Moundsview. Well, New Brighton and Moundsview. We moved a couple times. So I went to high school um, at Irondale High School in Moundsview, Minnesota. Um, ended up going to the University of Minnesota, played football, was a, a walk-on for a couple of years, earned a scholarship. Um, for those of, of you listening that have ever walked on to a, a Division One sports team, you understand the struggles that came with that. What position did you walk on as? running back, which was a very difficult position to walk on as. Um, but fortunately, I, I, I was able to to do well enough to earn a scholarship. And that helped a lot while while I was in undergrad. Did you find any playing time? You get out there? <laughs> you know, playing time is overrated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just take the hits in practice and you don't get the, the, the game. I got a little playing time. Um, I, I did I did letter a couple of years um, for a couple of years. I got, I got on the field a little bit, not much, nothing that that's worth noting, but um, a, a good overall experience and made um, some lifelong friends. Some of my best friends are, are from that um, part of my life and, and being able to have that opportunity to play football um, at a high level and, and earn a scholarship. Um, graduated from the University of Minnesota, moved out to L.A. right after with a degree in finance, a minor in Afro studies, which kind of coincided with some sociology 
um, classes and work that I did, and also another minor in entrepreneurship. Now, you can probably see how all three of those things um, had an impact on me, right? The degree in finance and the minors in in Afro studies and um, and entrepreneurship, because those are the three kind of interesting things that I like to do, right? I like finance and, and, and business. I love entrepreneurship. And I also love social um, kind of constructs and history and um, the way that, you know, different people interact across the country and across the world. Um, so I moved out to LA, started working as a management consultant, um, specifically in healthcare. Why did I do that? Paid a lot of money. And that's something that I found to be compelling and interesting as well, like working in, in the healthcare sector and also gave me an opportunity to, to live out in Los Angeles. But I knew that that was something that I wanted only to do for a short period of time. And I was searching for what my life was going to be and what I was going to actually do, you know, post working as a consultant fresh out of undergrad and you're still searching and figuring out um, what impact you want to have in the world. And 2014, 2015, a lot of, well, really 13 through 15, a lot of um, social unrest stemming from Trayvon Martin, stemming from uh, Michael Brown being murdered. And that brought me down a path of wanting to do something in the policy space. Went out to Ferguson, Missouri um, for a few days, literally the, I think maybe a day or two um, after Mike Brown was killed and did some protesting for a couple of days, realized that wasn't my steez. That wasn't something that I, I wasn't an activist um, in that capacity and kind of like looked at opportunities to be able to have impact in the world and, and, and kind of in these social ways uh, with things that I was passionate about, which is entrepreneurship and, and technology. Um, and that's what led to the origin of, of starting Civic Eagle. Well, there is a quite a bit of a step between an idea that you want to have impact in the world and focusing on a particular niche and pulling a team together to tackle it. What's, what was the germ of the idea? Where did that come from? Yeah. One of the things that I was frustrated about was when I would talk to my friends about politics, it was always very kind of national focused. Um, and like I said, I, I have a really multinational perspective, right? I'm Nigerian American. Um, I look at the world not just through what I see on a daily basis, but what's going on globally, and also the the, the story arc of history and how that has an impact on, on present day circumstances and also future circumstances. So I have a very global perspective, um, but I also feel like it's really important to be involved locally, right? To to participate in in local elections, to know who your your city council people are, to interact um, and vote at the local and state levels. And when I would have conversations with my friends, like nobody was doing that. Nobody was having these conversations. Everybody kind of looked at whatever the president was doing as having the most impact on their lives. And then you and I, and probably all of your listeners know that's just not the case. Um, so there was this, this idea of, hey, is there a way to be able to um, help people be more involved locally, have more knowledge about the policies that were impacting them at the really on a day-to-day -day basis, those conversations and that frustration um, was like the, a, a, a dot that, that was plotted for me of thinking about like how I can make an impact. It's like, hey, this is something that I'm interested in um, that I see a lot of, I see a deficit in the way that my social group thinks about these things. And my social group um, then and, and now are very involved and very 
um, smart and, and, and active. Um, and if they were struggling with these things and these concepts, I thought that that was an opportunity. So that combined with what was happening socially, combined with my interest areas, right? It just kind of formed this, this confluence for me of like, hey, like, let me just see if there's something that I can do. Let me just build something. And when we started and, and when I really got this idea off the ground, um, it's a lot different than what we're doing right now, right? It started with how can we help pe- people, everyday people, get to know their local and state politics better? And it evolved from there into what we're doing now. Which came first, the kind of evolution of that idea or the pulling together of a team? The pulling together of the team definitely came first. That's something that I think is not talked about enough. We kind of glorify a lot of times, especially in entrepreneurship, um, the CEO, the founder, like the, the, the first founder, main founder, so to speak, quote unquote. And that's never really the story of the company. The story of the company is like a, a good idea that and then somebody pulls together a team or a group of people that can build on that idea. And then the outcome is what we as consumers or the, or, or the viewing public um, look at as like, wow, this brilliant person that started this company. Like it's, it's, that, that's, that, that was exactly the case for me. Right. I had an idea. Um, I told people about the idea, asked them to join me. The idea isn't even close to what we're doing right now. We built and we just built on it together. Right. People added their thoughts you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. Now there's a, a vision and, and a mission and I have to carry that torch as, as CEO and as kind of the, the, the originator of, of what we're doing and the, and, and the, you know, main founders, so to speak. But it takes it takes a village, right? It takes a community. It takes it takes a team to to get to anywhere that you want to get to. And my co-founders really, really built on everything that we've that my original idea and then and where we are right now. And it takes the team and it takes the feedback from the market. You can't create something fully hatched without putting it out there and getting the response from people who might want to buy it in a for-profit situation. Tell me about your team though. To, who, who are the key players? Yeah. Um, so my founding team is myself. Um, and then, um, two incredible, brilliant people. Um, Shantara Hardy is our chief strategy officer. She was the commissioner of the Minnesota department of employment and economic development for several years was the deputy chief of staff to Governor Mark Dayton for a couple of years before being appointed to deed commissioner in Minnesota. My other co-founder is Yemi Adewumi, um, another Nigerian-American, grew up in, in Albany, New York. She was our chief product officer. Now she's our chief operating officer. And, and those are my two co-founders. So just two incredibly um, brilliant people. One of the things that we, you know, that's kind of unique about our team is that I mean, not only do we have three Black people founding the team, we've got two Nigerian Americans. We've got um, two Black women. Um, it's a very unique founding team. Unique from the perspective of it's not what you typically will see in terms of like the patterns you see when it comes to founding teams that have raised venture capital money, even at anything close to to what we've been able to accomplish. Um, and it's something that I'm incredibly proud of, and I try to do my best to really highlight their success. Um, and, and their achievements, uh, because it's again, it's not not just me. It's definitely the three of us that have been able to build something um, that we believe is really special. How did you come across them? How did you know them before they became part of your team? Yeah. So um, Shantara was introduced to me through um, one of my fraternity brothers who actually I should remember to send him a text message and thank him every year. 
Uh, but it was one of my fraternity brothers from undergrad. For for those that are listening, um, I'm a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, the the greatest fraternity ever. And one of my fraternity brothers uh, knew that I had this idea. I was building this thing. Um, was like, you should talk to my friend Shantara Hardy. And um, Shantara and I met. I again, I already had the idea. I was working on it. I had a prototype for the thing I was building. I think more than a prototype. Um, and you know, wanted to, to meet with Shantara. We met at a restaurant in, in St. Paul, Minnesota. Shantara, she's a resident of St. Paul. She's diehard St. Paul. Um, if you are familiar with, with the Twin Cities, if you're a Minneapolis person, you stay in Minneapolis. If you live in St. Paul, you stay in St. Paul, right? Um, like We like our Minneapolis. I, I'm more of a Minneapolis side of the river. So whenever she wants to meet with people, she makes them meet on her turf, right? So it's always in St. Paul. Everything is in St. Paul. St. Paul is a great city. Uh, so we met in St. Paul at a, at a restaurant. And before we got up to pay the check, I was like, look, I need you on the team. What do you think? Um, and I just asked her and she said she slept on it for like a week. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long nap. <laughs> a, long, a very long nap. Um, and then she she said that she wanted to, to join the team. And then Yemi, I met on a study abroad trip in undergrad, actually. So we she went to the University of Pittsburgh. I went to the University of Minnesota. Um, there was a like a joint study abroad program in London, England in 2009. Um, and we met there and stayed friends, stayed cool. And when I started Civic Eagle and was thinking about like, you know, how to get this thing off the ground, she was the first or second person I reached out to to even tell, tell her about what I was doing. She was working at the New York State Assembly um, as a policy analyst. She was in the space, right? She was doing this work. So I thought she'd be a great person to talk to. She happened to also really be passionate about design hence the chief product officer title. And that's how I was able to, to convince both of them to pursue something that was very, very risky, but has proven to be worth it for, I think, all of us. Was it originally right from the get-go a software as a service type idea? Let me back up to the to the beginning of like, what do we do? What have we created? Who is it for? Um, uh, that type of thing. So we started the company in 2015. Um, and when we started the company, the idea is kind of everything I've shared with you up until this point, how to get people to pay closer attention to local and state politics. And in 2015, how did you do that? How do you solve any problem? There's an app for that. You create an app. So what we did is we started building an app um, to get people to engage. Now, for your listeners are probably super savvy um, political folks. Um, you might have heard of apps like Brigade. Um, uh, they went down. iCitizen, I believe, is, is still um, up and running. Uh, there's a, another great app, Countable, civic engagement um, and information for everyday people, residents of the United States to be able to be more active. That was what we were doing. Same sort of idea, same family. We had some differentiators, some cool things that we were trying to experiment with. Um, we may come back to at some point in the arc of our future, but really, really like interesting app idea. The issue with a consumer app is that you all are very, very picky. You all meaning the consumer. We expect so much out of our consumer products nowadays. And it's really difficult to get that sort of product up and running and then market it and get people to use it. It's a very expensive work um, and it's it's just really tough. And we tried that. We bootstrapped the company I put a lot of my own time and obviously time, but but a lot of my own personal money into it. Um, and ultimately, we had to stop. It wasn't working. Plain and simple, just the product, the, the app wasn't working for people in terms of like adoption. So 
what does any good entrepreneur do? You pivot. So in 2018, there was some indication from conversations we were having, from conferences we were going to, that there was something that we were doing that was interesting and compelling to issue advocacy groups. And that something was how we were displaying state legislation. That simple, right? We had this consumer app, but the thing that was compelling was not for our intended market, which were everyday people, but it was compelling for issue advocacy organizations that were downloading it for some reason and using it for state legislative tracking. So what we decided to do in 2018 was was basically lean into that. We had two choices, quit or pivot. That was really it. Um, and we made the pivot. Tell me about that conversation, because that seems like a really big moment. Is that something that you had within the team? Is that something that you had in conjunction with advisors, in conjunction with potential clients? How did you make that call? So um, over a pizza party, <laughs> late 2017, we... Um, invited because we, we we had kind of gotten these signals, right? We were like, hey, there's there's something happening here. Organizations are using it, not people, not consumers, right? Not everyday people. What's going on here? Did have some conversations with some mentors, some advisors, like telling them like, hey, not sure exactly what we should do. We're thinking about quitting. Uh, but there is this thing that's interesting that's happening. Like, what does this mean? How should we look at this? How should we think about this? And the advice was do a quote unquote discovery session. Now, um, customer discovery, user discovery, right? Like for, for your listeners that may not be familiar with it, basically is like one of those, uh, a thought session, right? Like a think tank almost, right? You sit everybody down. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. A focus group. Um, you sit everybody down, you have conversation, let them know, you ask them questions about what their problem areas are, that type of thing. So like, all right, let's do a discovery session. And I invited three organizations that I knew liked the app, but they weren't really sure why they liked it. And I was one of the discovery group uh, or the discovery session. And I said, hey, we'll, we'll buy you some pizza. We'll have some wine. Um, let's all meet in uh, in this co-working space in Minnesota called Field Collective. Shout out to Field Collective. Um, and we sat in there and it was maybe like 10 of us. And there was a group that was that called in virtually. And we basically just rolled our sleeves up and tried to figure out like what could we what were they using the app for? What was a real underlying problem they were trying to solve? Um, and what came out of that was let's build this huge, to be honest, NGP van like um, software product for these organizations. And that's where we started. And then where we ended was a legislative intelligence product. They were sharing all these problems. And as we, as we continue to refine what exactly it is that we wanted to focus on, what exactly the specific problem was, uh, we started with this huge grandiose thing. And then we continued over like several months of like talking through it and building and figuring out and talking to those organizations. We figured out, hey, what they really are, are struggling with is how to collaborate with each other on the basis of the legislation that they're advocating on, the issues that they're working on as it pertains to legislation. They have um, grassroots advocacy software that they can use, right? They have donor management software. But where they're fundamentally struggling is, hey, we work together as issue-based organizations, and we don't really have a great way of doing that with the layer of the data that we need, which is legislation. 
they, that's not what they said, but those were the problems that we that that kind of came out of it, um, and that's why we started building the product that we have right now and that we've been scaling since two thousand and eighteen. So it takes you three four years to settle on the idea for an MVP, <laughs> <laughs> but that's I mean that's what a startup is, right? It's a it's an idea in search of a business model that might work. Right? <laughs> I, right. I think that's hundred percent right. That's hundred percent right. The running joke is, you know, overnight success over ten years, right? Like it was an MVP over four years or three years, right? Like just to even get, just to even hit go at the, you know, at the for the gun to go off and you know get out of the starting blocks. It felt like it took several years, and and that's not abnormal necessarily. I think what's abnormal was our persistence and our diligence um, and our grit to kind of be like, hey, we're really passionate about making an impact in policy. The work that we do is just so interesting. The organizations we work with is are so fascinating um, and the work is impactful. So just being around it, right, just makes us feel good, makes us feel like we're doing something great. Um, and that that allowed us to, to stay gritty, to stay persistent, to figure out like, hey, what exactly kind of product can we build? What kind of problems can we solve in a way that's, that's scalable and utilizes technology? I think it's that combination of stubbornness on the general path that you want to be on and then flexibility to not be too in love with a particular expression of it, not to have so much ego that you can't change when you need to and see an opportunity. And often you can't see an opportunity till you're right in there actually having people to engage with around something that may or may not work in the first try can say it any better that that a hundred percent is what it was to and to your point just being in there being in like rolling up your sleeves being in the mud really figuring things out is critical it's just getting started and and being persistent and gritty enough to to figure out exactly what it is that you you want to do so once you did find that focus and you started to build it out what was the reaction of the people that you started to show it to um, mixed reactions, right? So, and, and mixed, not in terms of, of positive and negative mixed in terms of there's, everybody has so many different ideas on the direction that you should take it or where you should focus. Right. Um, and that's really confusing when you are building a product because you have a finite amount of resources and you have an infinite amount of ideas. The most successful companies the best operators and entrepreneurs are able to take those two things, those finite amount of resources and those infinite amount of ideas and feedback and information and figure out which signals to pay attention to. It is terrifying. It is exciting um, because again, the world is your, like you can build anything, right? That's, that's the beauty about technology. The reason I love technology is because it's magic. It's creation and magic. You can build and create it. You can imagine it. Um, even if you can't build it right now, it's like, like the arc is, is bending in that direction, right? Or you can build it with technology. When I was a kid, I kind of had this, I kind of coveted a remote control car because you could like press a button or a wheel and turn it and it would have a run, but I never got one. I was like, no, my parents wouldn't get me something like that. But once, once I got a computer and I could tell the computer what to do, it was like the ultimate remote control device. You can tell it extremely explicitly all these instructions about how it should behave. 
I just thought that was awesome. Did you ever get yourself the uh, the remote control car? No, no. but I have no. a I have a a tractor, so yeah. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> I a, can drive a, that. A version of a remote. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that does strike me as a pretty exciting time, especially after it didn't happen right away. So now you're starting to get engagement and you're starting to get positive feedback as well as mixed feedback. Tell me about the steps then as you try to learn how to make a business in this area and and proceed along that path. Two things. One, intuition. Well, the intuition with it, with the data, right? Like seeing all the information that you're getting and then like trying to discern that information and trusting your gut that you're making the right decision and just jumping in, right? So you build an MVP, I would even say more of a prototype, you build out a prototype. Um, we're sharing with people, we're having them like kind of give their feedback on what they actually need, what they care about. And we're getting all of these signals, this information, and you just got to make a decision, like which direction are we going? We have one engineer on the team, pick the direction and say, we're going to focus on this. We're going to do this. Um, one of the early decisions we made was that it was going to be really important for us to not ingest an index legislation. It was going to be really important to process the text in the format that that would allow us to do more creative data things around it. And I'll, and I'll kind of leave it at that. And that was a very important decision because it was risky, it was expensive, and it was slow, right? Instead of just scraping and indexing every single bill, we had to literally go through each state and figure out how best to process that text into our data system. So did you start then with both federal and state all together? I mean, like a lot of people might just pick federal or pick federal in one state. Like what was the decision around the scope? We went literally one jurisdiction at a time, starting with Minnesota, because that's where we're headquartered. That's where our early adopters, early testers were. And we literally just said, we are going to obsessively focus on on Minnesota legislation. And we're going to learn from this now. Every state is quirky. Like it's got its own quirks in terms of the legislative text, um, in terms of just the, the way that their legislature even works, how it's displayed on their website. Some of the bills are in PDF, some are in plain text, some are in, in HTML, um, some are in MS doc, right? They're on all of these different formats, many different quirks. So we had to say, which one are we going to master? Like, which one are we going to like figure out exactly? Because it may not apply to all of them, Right. Uh, and we said, OK, let's focus on Minnesota. That proved out to be the best decision we made early on was we are going to not just scrape Minnesota legislative text, not just link to it. Um, we are going to ingest it, process it. And I'm not going to get into the, the weeds of what that actually means, but it basically means that we give our customers a lot more um, flexibility in how they interact with that legislative text. That was a great decision. So after that, after getting those data points. Like the, the thing that went hand in hand with that was mentorship and, and advisors. Tell me about mentorship and advisors. So, you know, we, we were going in the right direction. Um, in retrospect, that I believe that to be the case, obviously. Um, and but there were so many things that about building a business and about the market that we were penetrating and they were getting into the competition that we were going to have to go up against um, that we knew that we it would be really smart for us to have partners, to have mentors, people that could help us. So we applied to um, an accelerator program called Higher Ground Labs that was founded by a, a, a few kind of ex-Obama or former Obama um, campaign folks. 
that proved out to be a really smart decision, right? That gave us an, like the, the, the insight into the kind of the organizations that we were going to be working with, uh, like how they think, not just the small kind of cohort of organizations that we were, we were working with, but more like expanded out, like, okay, these are um, like what the, the archetype is in general and how to think about it. Um, it gave us insight and relationships that we use to be able to meet different organizations that were not immediately within our, our personal networks. Um, it gave us credibility. It gave us funding. That was like our earliest funding. It gave us that that great mentors and advisors that kind of helped us think through product iteration and, and, and engineering and building a business uh, in this space, in this political technology space. And that was honestly for me in 2018, going through Higher Ground Labs was a lesson for me as CEO that my job is to build relationships. The way I look at it as, as the CEO, I have, I have three jobs. Don't run out of money is <laughs> job number one, like stay solvent. Job number two is take care of your customers, your stakeholders, really generally, your customers, your employees, your investors. I have a responsibility to balance all of those things and to take care of, of all of my stakeholders and keep them in mind. And then the third thing is like build relationships, like always, 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 always thinking about building relationships, not in a transactional way, but but very much in a like, let me tell you what we're doing. Let me learn what you're up to. Let me see if, if there's alignment. Let me see if there's ways that I can be helpful. Uh, because entrepreneurship and specifically the space that we're even applying entrepreneurship to, which is the the government relations advocacy space, um, is very relationship driven, right? It's very personal. I think going through higher ground labs and meeting people constantly, um, talking to people constantly really showed me how important that part of my job was going to be. And also, I'd hopefully do a good job of it. And I think I've done a pretty good job of it so far. I saw on your LinkedIn that you also were in Techstars. Yep. We did High Ground Labs 2018. Um, and then we did Techstars in 2019. So High Ground Labs was, was entrepreneurship applied to like this specific industry, right? This, this vertical. Uh, Techstars was like, you're a tech company. <laughs> like, this is, this Generically. Is <laughs> exactly generically like this is how you go out and you like this is the this is the this is the game right this is the, the venture back tech game this is how you go out and you raise capital this is how you think about your unit economics this is how you think about your margins this is how you think about building a sales team um this is how you think about um building out your business model right are you are you um, going to rely on product-led growth whether it's lean startup or other models there's all of these ways now that people can measure it's like a production model of building startups now that's out there. You are, you are a hundred percent right. It is, there's a long enough history and enough data where um, I think a lot of investors in particular believe that there is a, a formulaic approach um, that you can take to building a successful, especially on, in the SaaS. My own theory is that all that stuff can help, but it's not all. And that there's so much more in the relation, especially in our space, in the nuance, in the space between the measurements, in in sort of your, I don't know, spider sense about how things are going, in the humanity of it all that needs to be a very big part of it. And sometimes, sometimes the brilliant big funders know a lot about the measurements and a little bit less about the people and sometimes they know both and then they're really good. I, I, I 100% agree. I mean, as a founder 
and I, I think this applies to my other co-founders and I, I think um, other entrepreneurs, we look at ourselves as creatives, inventors, innovators. There's an art to this um, that you can't science away, right? Now that's part of the equation. And I think that those are really important measures to be able to do your best to predict success, right? Some of those benchmarks and milestones that you need. And one of the big things is is the motivation and you bringing what you described up front in this interview about this intersection between your interests and the kind of skills and kind of perspectives that you brought to it. You can't underestimate how much that matters as you go forward. Why do you continue to do this? How do you make those daily decisions that impact the direction of the enterprise? All of that is just, it's very individual. Like, how does this fit into your life and the lives of the people that are working with you? I mean, these are, are as fundamental as other business measurements. Yeah, hundred percent agree. I'm not going to bash the venture capital industry, right? I, I, I that th- there are partners in this, right? They can't know the details about what you're doing, and they, they don't they care anymore because of the formula yeah. that they're taking, which is yeah. unfortunate. They may, but they may not have time to care as deeply, and they wouldn't have started your company, right? You, that's your, that's your job and your responsibility and your privilege. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got some firms that are. Literally just send it's a send your benchmarks and then they just write you a check. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's well, very, I guess that cuts down some of the bullshit, right? <laughs> so Techstars, like, would you recommend that to other entrepreneurs? Do you take a lot from it? Techstars definitely was another inflection point in, in the company. This is what I'll say. Techstars Anywhere, which is managed by Ryan Cooter, um, I recommend that program. I don't know about it, the other MDs. I don't know about the other Techstars programs. Techstars in general, and then specifically that program, Techstars Anywhere, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, just taught me so much, taught us as a company so much. Something that I, that I tell my team a lot is we made the decision that this was the game that we were playing, that we were going to build this, this product in this market by raising venture capital, which gives you the opportunity to build it faster and scale it faster. So we have to master the game, the rules, the, uh, the written rules, the unwritten rules, the nuances, all of it. I need to be the Bill Belichick of it, right? And like really, really like, like know everything that's going on with the game itself, right? And, and be the, the best chess player I, I possibly can be. Um, and, you know, my team needs to be the Tom Brady's of the world, right? Like that's a, y'all know I played football, so that, that's already established, um, you know, and, and, and uh, be excellent, excellent. They, at they don't job. have to even be Tom Brady. They could just be a decent quarterback. You know? a decent quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> and, it'll, and it'll get you to the promised land. Uh, this, this is the game that we're playing, right? And, um, and Techstar teaches you, really works and, and, and refines like how you can be the best at the game, right? And, and that was an important lesson for us. Tell me about the competitive landscape as you saw it, as it was when you were focusing and as it has continued to be. I'm aware of, you know, things like LexisNexis that are out there or um, Fiscal Note. I know that they've been uh, growing and, and acquiring and, uh, and that they're probably a little further down the, the company building road than you. I guess I'm aware of a lot of the the tools that are sold 
into legislators' offices. But tell me how you saw the landscape. Yeah. Um, so there, there, there are some um, platforms out there, some competitors out there that have built legislative tracking tools, right? And slash government relations tools, slash advocacy software, slash association management, like, you know, slash, slash, slash. Um, and they built really um, impressive companies. What we saw when we pivoted and came into this market um, was that these smaller organizations were largely underserved. They were priced out of using the platforms that you just described, um, the fiscal notes of the world, the Lexus Nexuses of the world. Um, they were priced out of using them and or the software that was built with those product um, at those companies just didn't serve how they actually operate as single issue, state-based, highly collaborative um, advocacy organizations. So we saw that as an opportunity. Like we said, let's let's really lean into how best we can serve this underserved part of the market that are that are you know they're tracking bills, they're sending information, they're working with lobbyists too. Many of them are registered lobbyists, but they're single issue. Um, uh, highly collaborative issue advocacy organizations. And um, when we decided to really focus on that is, is and, and finding product market fit there um, is, was a, again, like a really good decision. Being obsessed with that customer, with that customer profile, pushed us to price the way that we price, right? We price based off of not seats, but based off of the number of jurisdictions. So if you're a single issue, single state advocacy organization, you don't have to worry about absorbent prices. You don't have to worry about adding additional seats. Um, you just have one base standard price uh, because guess what? You only really are working on state bills, on state policy. Um, so that re- so all of that went into being obsessively focused on that specific type of customer. Now, since then, we have a, a big vision. We have a big goal and, and we, we believe that our approach and, and the way that we've built our product and a lot of our, our future plans can be helpful to larger organizations, to enterprises that have government relations teams. So I'm definitely not, and we are not as an organization, shying away from the competition where we're taking them head on. We believe that we have a better product for where we have product market fit right now. And we believe that, to be honest, that we have a better product for the large organizations right now, and it's only going to continue to improve. So something that, that's important to note is, is the, the, the competition in the market there's not a ton. Um, you know, we're not talking about sales automation software here. We're talking about a, a very kind of specific specialty vertical and, and niche and industry. Being the kind of the disruptors and the innovators is, is a position that I really enjoy and like. Um, and, and I only see us continuing to improve and build a better product and better products um, and continue to keep our eye on, on innovation. When you build a company in a space that isn't as large a market. There's some advantages to that, right? That you're kind of shielded from heavy competition from big enterprises. One of the disadvantages is that people sometimes think uh, there's not enough space here to make something big enough to fund. How have you navigated that? So in in a few different ways. One, is fundamentally, if I have to spend more than one conversation convincing you that this is a problem worth solving in a market that's big enough that warrants venture capital, I'm not going to keep. Like after one conversation, one 30-minute conversation, if you don't see that, um, you don't want to, right? Um, so then what am I asking you to see, 
and and why do I think that it, it is a, it is a space that is um, you know big enough for venture capital to be venture capital backed? One, we already see our competition raising a, a lot of venture capital money. Um, so like, you know, obviously there are investors that, that, and big investors that see this as a, as a space that is continuing to grow and, um, has a lot of, of potential in there. Um, two, the way that we look at it is look, legislation impacts everything. Regulations impacts everything. How many organizations, how many people rely on government relations software, rely on legislative management software, some people say it's four billion. We say it's you know one and a half billion domestic, right? In terms of the, the addressable market, but when you really look at how many people, how many organizations, how much legislation and regulations actually has an impact on our day to day lives, on the lives of organizations, whether it's issue based or, or business based or or corporations, um, I, you know, I think that that number is is hard to nail down, but it's a really, really, really big number. Um, because it, legislation, we're, we're a land of laws, quote unquote, um, it, it impacts all of us. It impacts everything. And being able to get your hands on it and a handle on it um, is, is critical for organizations to, to do well and to push agendas forward in the United States. What are your customers telling you currently about uh, the users, about what you've built for them? Good and bad. Yeah, so, you know, CEO, I'm, I, I got a, I got talking points on this, right? Um, our customers love us, and, and this is so it, it sounds like a, like a, you know, CEO line, but um, I mean, they really do. Our customers love using our product. Uh, we get um, a lot of great feedback on on how elegant it is, how user friendly it is, how intuitive it is. All of the things that we thought about as we built it out, all the negative things we heard about other products in the space. Um, we corrected for them and in a lot of ways overcorrected for them. Um, so the ease of use, the, the how easy it is to collaborate with other people, how elegant it is. Those are the types of things that we we hear from our customer base. Now, negative, right? Like what, what are some of the, of the things that we know that we have to continue to work on? Um, a lot of it has to just do with our data set, right? We have all 50 states. We have um, in our data set, we have congressional information in our data set. Um, you know, we get a lot of requests for, for local. We get a lot of requests for um, international data, legislative data. We get requests for more regulatory data. Um, these are the things that we are working on. We consider ourselves a data company. Um, so these are things that we're working on and we have plans to, to continue to add to the platform and add to the product. Um, but fundamentally as product people as well, we're a data company that builds great, elegant products. Have we built a great, elegant product and, and are we going to continue to add more data to it and build more great, elegant products, beautiful products? Like, yes, we are. That is our, our goal. We don't want, we don't build clunky, ugly products. Um, we, we are, we're building for where the hockey puck is going and, and um, people in organizations, they're consumers now, right? They're, they're users. It's, you have to build um, really user-friendly, beautiful user interfaces, great user experiences, and we have a, a fantastic product team. I mean, we think that we'll, we'll always win on the, the beauty and elegance of our products. You find um, one sale leading to another, word of mouth? Most, almost all of our sales are, are word of mouth. Um, we just built out um, a sales and marketing motion. Um, we have like kind of a bare bones sales and marketing operation. 
Um, everything for us is word of mouth. I mean, our, our, our customers are our biggest champions. They are our best salespeople. Um, so we we built that into the product where we enable and empower um, people and, and our customers to collaborate with other organizations. So they'll a lot of times they'll invite um, a collaborator that has never even heard of Civic Eagle, has never even seen our product. They can jump in, start using our product for free as a collaborator, and they fall in love. And, and we reach out to them and say, like, hey, do you want to use um, you know, our, our product for your organization? So most of our customers are are through word of mouth. We need that word of mouth kind of collaborative based sales. Um, the kind of technical word for that is product led growth, paired with um, a really nice, strong sales and marketing motion. Um, combined with those two things, we think that we are ready for explosive growth in 2022. I've seen that you are looking for to raise more money, uh, planning to. Uh, why do you need more money? Why, why can't you just run, if you're selling it and if you're getting word of mouth, why can't you just run on the, the funds that come in from sales? Oh, we definitely could. Um, I just don't want to. The reasons I don't want to is I'm not uh, ready to, to take my foot off of being innovative. We have plans on how we're applying artificial intelligence to this data set. We want to be able to, to build more products that um, help people as well, like everyday people. You want to go faster. And we want to go faster, right? We want to go faster and we want to have a, a, a team that builds and turns out products that have an actual um, long-lasting impact um, on democracy, positive impact on democracy. And you need fuel for that. Um, and capital is, is fuel. When you um, take money from higher ground, my sense is that you make certain commitments about uh, the values of the company, you know, who you would end up doing business with. It seems a little bit tricky in a legislative tracking software, et cetera, to decide with whom to work, if not everybody. Are there groups that you would not uh, want to sell to? Yeah. Um, so we are pro-democracy. There are groups that we just refuse to sell to. I think it's important to also note that we're, we're nonpartisan. We don't take a partisan stance. We don't have like a pack that donates to one side of the aisle or anything like that. Um, you know, most of our customers are issue based or single issue. Sometimes maybe a couple, two, three different issues that, that overlap or crossover. Um, so what we decided to do as a company, like kind of having that pro-democracy bent to us, pro-democracy is not partisan. Like fundamentally, we believe that everybody has, should have the right to vote. There should be no restrictions on your ability to exercise um, your, obviously your civil rights. Um, and we take that really, really seriously. And if that means that we take a position on a specific issue, we'll take that position. We're not, we don't, we're not scared of running away. So, what does that mean in practice? You wouldn't sell to the National Rifle Association. We, we, we've already decided we will not. Um, so there are, there are now. How do we make that call? Like we can't just make arbitrary um, calls like that, right? Because it makes because I feel icky about that organization is not a way to make a decision like that, right? Like you can't operationalize that. So what we have done is we built a, a values committee within our company. And the values committee takes sales opportunities and also looks at current customers that maybe didn't touch sales um, and, and were able to create their account and, and get started on their own because we do have a self-service model um, uh, on our platform to get started. And it looks at the issues that they're working on, the positions that they've taken and how that lines up with our values 
our mission and our vision. Um, it's a three-person committee. Um, they do this work on a monthly basis. They do all the, the review work. And we will literally and have literally either A, told a salesperson to stand down on on a deal that they were working on because it just didn't fit um, our values and or B, um, literally reach out to organizations and say, hey, you violated our terms and conditions in which our values are explicitly written in there. And that core value, that main value is democracy over everything, right? Meaning that if you have put money into a pack that is preventing people from voting or working on voting restriction type legislation, if you are actively taking a position on an issue um, that restricts anything from a pro-democracy perspective, we just refuse to work with you now. I think there are much harder calls, like if ExxonMobil wants to use it, right? I mean, we we all go and buy gas. On the other hand, we got problems with global warming and fossil fuels. There's just so many hard calls out there. Yeah, and, and we we kind of like tested this out, right? Like we literally, I hate when or when companies and founders of companies like say, hey, this is the thing. And then they obfuscate responsibility to this like thing, right? Um, so like, I will tell you, like if, if, if I have the answer to it, because we have kind of gamed some of this out, like who we will not work with, who we will, who we will not, and all right, who we will, Exxon, we've actually gamed it, like we've actually gamed out like um, uh, oil and gas. So we would, based off of how we've kind of worked through this with our values committee, uh, we would work with an oil and gas um, company, corporation, unless we un- discover something from an institutional perspective that our values committee is like, hey, this this doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's tricky because they. What if they're funding like climate denialism or something? If we if we uncover that, um, that is something that you know I think our values committee would have to to really look at and evaluate. Now, does that and, and make a decision like does, is this anti democratic behavior right? Um, this is anti-public participation behavior. And if the answer is yes, and that's what I'm not, I, it doesn't go up, it, it ain't a Facebook situation. It doesn't get kicked up to me for a final knowledge. Like whatever they decide as the values committee, they decide. Um, and the reason I wanted to remove myself from that is because I have other stakeholders to balance and I don't ever want the balance that I have and the responsibility that I have to to kind of thinking about all these stakeholders um, to ever, 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 blur the lines of of our values it's it's hard tell me about the stage of the company right now what are the biggest challenges going forward for you um so we are you know straddling the line of seed and series a stage companies we've reached certain product market fit milestones that that um i think are indicative of our ability to build a big business and to scale and to have found like kind of what where what our space is and we're looking at like how we expand that right how we continue to grow the the serviceable uh, you know market that we're addressing right now we are getting ready to raise another uh, financing round kind of our, our next big financing round at the beginning of 2022 that's looking good we've gotten a lot of inbound interest from investors already and right now it's just about wanting to hit certain metrics and have certain answers um, and, and be in a, in, a, in a position of strength uh, and just also be able to focus on closing out Q4. Um, it's a big quarter for us. A lot of organizations evaluate the software that they're going to be using in, in kind of legislative battles next year. And we saw a big one with SB202 um, earlier this year in Georgia. A lot of those organizations working um, and fighting to retain and, re- and keep the voting rights for people that have fought for a long time to have those rights. Um, use our software to do that. The America Votes Georgias of the world, the 
uh, Pro Georgia's the Fair Fights, the New Georgia Project. Um, so those those fights are going to continue in 2022, and, and a lot of those organizations across the country are making decisions in Q4 on like kind of the software that they're going to use, and we want to be there and support them and, and be active in being able to showcase what our product can do and can help them with um, as they go into 2022. So that's a big kind of focus of ours right now as well. For us right now, it's supporting customers and continuing to grow and, and just kind of get ready for this next stage of the company. Is there a question about your enterprise or your path that I should have asked that I didn't? Um, I don't think so. I think you covered all your bases and I, it was just a, a really great time being with you and sharing kind of my background and, and what we're building at Civic Eagle and and why we believe that um, that we're at the, the forefront of innovation around legislative intelligence. We don't even call it legislative tracking. Uh, you said that a couple of times. Let me be clear. We are carving out a new category. We are redefining the category as legislative intelligence and collaboration. We will be the biggest public policy data company in the world. And that's our goal. That's our mission. And, and we're going to create incredible products that help move democracy forward. Well, it is always good to talk to someone who wants to move democracy forward because there's some people in this country who want to move it backward and we need some people tugging it in the right direction. So it was fun to talk to you. Uh, Good conversation. Definitely. Uh, Anything else you want to say? Uh, Well, you know what? I changed my mind. One thing, if you are a, a lobbyist, an advocacy person, if you do anything when it comes to managing legislation at the federal or state level, um, even at the local level. We do have some local level stuff now. Um, please feel free to visit our website, civiceagle.com, C-I-V-I-C-E-A-G-L-E.com. Um, you can also just reach out to me and email me directly, Damola, that's D-A-M-O-L-A at civiceagle.com. Um, for my African brothers and sisters, Damola at civiceagle.com. I'll throw the accent in there. All right. But but it's been great sharing some time with you. That was Damola Ogundepe. Damola is at civiceagle.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.